Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3 today. I wanted today, as we begin a, a new year, to look at some things here in Philippians chapter 3. And let's just begin in verse 1. The verse I actually want to get to is farther down in the chapter, but let's begin in in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. It says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ." And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 is the verse that I, that I wanted to get to. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here you have Paul, these are, these are kind of his parting words here to the church at Philippi. So he writes this epistle to them. Um, you see he begins that, that uh, chapter by saying finally. He's bringing things to a close there. And um, he, he uh, tells them to rejoice in the Lord. He you know, builds them up there. But he talks here about the confidence in the flesh and, uh, and the futility of that. And in verse 13, when he, when he says, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Uh, you know, anytime you, you have a, you know, a change from the old to the new, there's always kind of what, what uh, Paul describes here. You know, there's the things that, that are behind and the things that are before. And, you know, we just kind of naturally at a, a new year... Um, do that, do that kind of thing, you know. And there's nothing, there's nothing really special about the new year. I mean, we choose to begin our year on, on 
January 1st when we do. It's kind of an arbitrary starting point for the year. You know, the Hebrew year began in the, in the spring. Uh, different cultures celebrate their year at different times. But however, however the culture reckons years, it's natural when you come to the end of one thing and, and the beginning of another um, to, to kind of reflect on things. In fact, the month January, you know, we use the Roman months, and our months are named after pagan Roman gods. Uh, the month January is named after the Roman god Janus. And um, if you, you know, if you're familiar with that Roman mythology, that, that you know, heathen religion, um, the, the Roman god Janus had two faces, one looking backwards and one looking forward. And that's why the Romans chose to call the first month in their year January after that god Janus. And that god Janus was also the, the god of, you know, was the god of, of uh, opening and closing doors. It, always, always this kind of this dichotomy with the god Janus. Um, and, and, you know, so that comes just from that Roman paganism. Um, here, you know, the Apostle Paul is talking about forgetting, not, not looking back at things that are behind and, and looking at things before, but rather he talks about forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And as he talks about forgetting the things that are behind, um, you see from the verses that precede this what he's talking about. One thing he's talking about is he's talking about uh, your, your life and your attitude as, a, as an unbeliever. You see, he talks about the confidence of the flesh, right? And, and he describes um, how if, you know, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, he was somebody that could have confidence in the flesh, um, he, he gives his, some of his credentials there as he talks about how he was circumcised the eighth day in accordance with the Jewish law, how he was of the stock of Israel, that people that God had separated out from all of the other people on the earth. He said that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin, if you remember, was the youngest son of Jacob, and Benjamin was that favored son. Uh, the, first, the first king of Israel, King Saul, was from that tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin uh, was considered to be a, a favored tribe. And here he lists that as one of the things by which he could have confidence in the flesh. He says of the tribe of, of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says as touching the law, a Pharisee. And you know the Pharisees were the, the strictest group of, of the religious Israelites. All right, And so Paul wasn't just... When it came to the Jewish religion, he wasn't somebody that just went to synagogue on the Sabbath. Paul was somebody he describes in, in uh, other places how he profited above even many of his equals. And Paul was somebody who was very zealous about, about his religion and, and advanced in that religion. Um, and, and he did that among this group called the Pharisees. He says concerning zeal in verse 6, persecuting the church. Uh, now, he lists that as something here that would be something you could glory in in the flesh. Because to the, to the unbelieving Jews, that was something that was a very honorable thing. You know, he was out going after these, you know, these, these people that were um, making claims about Jesus being the Jewish Messiah and that kind of thing. To the unbelieving Israelite, uh, this was a false religious sect. And so somebody who would have the zeal to go out and, and persecute the church, and the evidence from Scripture is that... Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, was kind of leading that persecution. Uh, again, something he could have confidence in the flesh. And he says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Um, 
the, when it came to the law, that doesn't mean he was sinless and that he never broke the law, but he brought the proper sacrifices. He did the things that the law said you should do. And, and when the Bible talks about, uh, or when it uses that word blameless, it's most often used in the sense of, of how someone appears before men. And so if somebody is blameless, it means there was nobody who could come and bring accusation against Saul of Tarsus. None of the Jews could come and bring accusation against him that he hadn't brought the proper sacrifice, that he hadn't followed the proper rituals, that he hadn't lived in obedience to the law. He was blameless when it came to the righteousness of the law. Now, those are some of the things Paul's talking about, forgetting the things that are behind. A lot of times when we read that verse uh, about forgetting the things that are behind, we might think about our sin, we might think about those kinds of things. But Paul's talking about the things that could give confidence to the flesh. He's talking about his, his uh, credentials there, the things that he could stand before the unbelieving world and say, look at these things that make me worthy of your respect. Paul says he's forgetting those things. Right? A lot of times the sins and things are, we, we want to forget those a lot of times. Um, and certainly that would be included. Certainly you would include those things. Here when Paul talks about forgetting those things which are behind, we, we ought not to live our lives as believers. Just some, some people are just paralyzed and almost trapped by sins that they've committed in their past. Right? They, they understand that those sins have been paid for. They understand, I'm, I'm talking about believers here, they understand that they have eternal life, and yet every day they live just in light of those sins that they've committed in their past. Uh, and yet the scripture says that the Lord himself has forgotten those things. Um, but, but Paul here again, he's not just talking about forgetting those bad things, forgetting the sins, but he's talking about forgetting those things that would have you to have confidence in the flesh. Now, when he, when he talks about forgetting those things which are behind, um, you know, it's interesting that he would say that we should forget the things that are behind after he just listed a whole bunch of things that are behind, right? Um, he, he's not talking about just somehow, you know, somehow erasing them from your memory. Um, you know, the word forget would have that idea of not having something in, in memory. But even, even when it talks about the Lord not remembering our sins, uh, is, it, is it that God has somehow deluded himself into thinking that we, that we don't have any sins or, or anything like that? Uh, it, it's not anything like that because certainly our sins can still grieve the Holy Spirit of God and, and uh, God is aware of those things. But he doesn't, God doesn't, he, our relationship with him isn't based on those things, right? It's not based on our sins and it's not based on the works of our flesh. It's not based on the bad things. It's not based on the good things. That's not what gives us a relationship with God. Uh, when it talks about God not remembering sins, when it talks here, Paul talks about us forgetting the things that are past, the idea is that you don't, you don't operate, you don't continue to operate on the basis of those things that are past. God doesn't operate with you that way. Right? God deals with you um, with, with a complete knowledge of the fact that every sin you've ever committed and every sin you ever will commit has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? His, his justice is satisfied. That's the way God, when it talks about God not remembering sins, that's, that's the idea there. It's not that he's unaware of them. It's not that he, he is you know, self-delusional about them, but it's that he doesn't, he doesn't operate, he doesn't deal with us on the basis of our sin. And here, when it talks about forgetting those things which are behind, it's a very similar type thing. Um, again, Paul's not ignorant of the things that are in his own past. I don't know how you would even do that if you, if you wanted to do that, right? But he is, as, as Paul is operating here on a, on a day-to-day basis, he's not doing it on the basis of 
either those sins that he had committed in the past or the accomplishments that he had in his, in his past. You know, the, the thing about those accomplishments so often that we're very proud about, uh, you, notice, you notice as Paul listed those accomplishments, one of the things he listed was persecuting the church. Now, he lists it there as, a, as something that could give you confidence in the flesh. Some of these other things could be good things. You know, if you were a, a, a believer, if you were a believer in the Lord God before, before Jesus Christ came along, before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, and you had faith in God, you were going to do many of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about here, right? Um, you, you were going to be, you know, be, be seeking that righteousness. Not, not that you could gain righteousness by the law, but if you had faith in God, wouldn't you be keeping that law if you lived under that law, you know, previous to the, the uh, revealing of God's grace? Um, certainly you did. You look at those believers back in the Old Testament, and, and what was their desire? It was to live by that law of God, including all of the rituals, including all of, all of those things. Uh, Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry, when he dealt with people and they came to, to believe in him, he taught them how to keep that Old Testament law, right? Um, and, and so many of those things would be good things even for a believer to do. Paul did them as an unbeliever. But you notice he, he lists there persecuting the church. Oftentimes, things that we might think of as accomplishments actually turn out to be outright sin. You know that? Um, and certainly, even, even things that might be good things in the relative sense, in the human sense, uh, if they're not done out of faith in God, they are sin. These things that Paul lists that, you know, had he, had he been a believer, might have been some sort of a benefit to him, uh, many of the things he lists. As an unbeliever, they were just the work of his flesh. They were just the work of his pride. You know, it can be very difficult to, to distinguish between the good works of faith in a believer, if you're just looking, you know, just looking from the outside, just observing from, from a distance, and you hear you have a believer uh, who is, you know, doing things out of faith, and here you have an unbeliever who's lost but is very religious and moral, it can be very difficult to tell the difference between the two just looking at their works, right? And yet, and yet one person can be acceptable to God and their works can be acceptable to God, and the other one, they're not. Um, the, one of the differences is, though, that, that that believer who's doing those works of faith does so with a confidence in God, not a confidence in their flesh. When you're doing works and you start to have confidence in yourself, you're not doing those things out of faith anymore. The unbeliever, that when the unbeliever does something good, and unbelievers do lots of good things in the world, when an unbeliever does something good, it just, it just reinforces that confidence that they have in themselves and in, in their flesh. Where, where the believer, um, you know, the, the works that a believer does of faith ought to really reinforce their confidence in God. And, you know, the reality is that just like that unbeliever can do relatively good things, not good in the absolute sense, but relatively good things in their flesh. You know, a believer can do good things in the flesh as well. That's why Paul is telling them here about that, that they need in verse 3, if you look back at chapter 3, verse 3, he says, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Right? He tells them, don't, don't, he, he doesn't even say have a little. He doesn't say you ought to have less confidence in your flesh. He says you, you ought to have no confidence in your flesh. And that's when he tells them, forgetting those things which are behind. He's talking about taking that confidence in the past, either as a believer or an unbeliever, that you have incorrectly put in your flesh. And he's saying, 
Forget about that. Don't operate on the basis of the confidence of your flesh. As, as Paul talks about all those things that he could have had confidence in, you see what he says in verse 7. He says, what things were gained to me, they were gained to him in the worldly sense. He says, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. All those things that according to the flesh, uh, Paul, you know, in his mental ledger sheet would have had on the, on the credit side, the things that he would have listed as assets, what he, what he says is that for Christ, he counted them as liabilities, not as, not as assets, not in the plus column, but in the minus column. He doesn't even, he doesn't even put them in the, in the neutral. He doesn't, he doesn't even just put them where they break even. He says he counted them loss for Christ. Now, again, that's something, understand that when you believe the gospel, there's the kind of process that Paul's describing here. Right? You have to realize that all of the, all of the uh, works of your flesh are insufficient. They're insufficient to save you. And in fact, not only that, I mean, when he says the things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Um, you know, when, when I say that our works are insufficient, it maybe gives the idea that, you know, our works kinda, kind of get part of the way, but they can't get you all the way. But it's not just that they're insufficient, it's that those works, whether good or bad, are moving you in the wrong direction. They're not, they're not moving you part of the way, they're moving you in the wrong direction. They're loss, right? They're not a little bit in the plus column, just not enough, it's that they're in the, they're in the minus column. And Paul says, those things that were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ... Now that he says in the past tense, there he's talking about, he's talking about believing the gospel. He's talking about understanding that his works, as, as Isaiah said, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. They're, they're something worthless to God. They're actually a loss to us, not a gain to us. But he says he counted them loss for Christ. Uh, he, he recognized the merit that was in Christ. Now that he says in the past tense. Now if you notice verse 8 though, uh, verse 8, it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Now that's in the present tense. You see, that process, when, when, you, when you forsake the flesh at salvation and you trust Christ, you, you recognize the inability of yourself to save yourself, and you recognize Christ's ability. Right? But you know, even for the believer in Christ, it's very easy to start going back and thinking that wrong way again. It's easy to, to go back and start to put confidence in the flesh, even in things that, that you're, you, know, you set out to do in service to the Lord. In fact, you can, you can start out on some thing, some good thing, whether it be evangelism or, or whatever it is, you can start out on some good thing that you're doing by faith and just you know, very easily slip back into that old thinking about things and begin doing it in the confidence of the flesh. And so Paul presents this not as just a, a one-time thing that he, that he did at salvation in, in uh, counting those things lost, but he says, I, I continue to count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For, he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now, here when the Apostle Paul is talking about winning Christ, he's not talking about salvation there. That's something he already has, right? He's, he's not saying that somehow by, by, uh, by a choice of my will to not put confidence in my flesh that I earn Christ or, or win Christ. But what he's describing here is, is the process, not the process of salvation, but he's describing the process of sanctification where, where the believer and the life of the believer comes to reflect Christ. And as long as you're doing it in the confidence of the flesh, 
It's not going to do that. As long as you're doing it in the, in the confidence of the flesh, all you're doing, Paul says, is heeping up dung. That's all you're doing. Um, but, he, but you see, he says he counts those things but dung so that he can win Christ. Now, now, again, as we get a few verses down, he'll describe a little bit more what he means about that. But he says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, Paul, Paul uh, didn't want to be found working in his own flesh. He wanted to be found in Christ, working in Christ. Um, if, you, if you come down to verse 10, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, what does Paul mean that I may know him? Doesn't Paul know him? I mean, didn't Paul, didn't Paul even, even in a way that we haven't, didn't Paul meet the Lord there on the, on the road to Damascus and, and see him uh, Briefly, before he was blinded, I saw a bright light. Um, what, is, what does he mean that I may know him? Again, he's not talking about just knowing the Lord in salvation. But you see, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He's talking here about sanctification. He's talking about living the Christian life. And the knowledge there is, is it goes beyond just, just having met someone. It even, go, for the believer, goes beyond salvation. But he's talking about having this intimate knowledge, this intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and knowing the power of his resurrection. Now, certainly the resurrection of Christ, you know, there's a power of Christ's resurrection in salvation, right? Christ, salvation wouldn't be possible without the resurrection of Christ. Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not raised, then you are yet in your sins. Uh, his resurrection was necessary for our salvation. But here Paul's talking about knowing the power of his resurrection in sanctification. Knowing the power of his resurrection on a, on a day-to-day basis. Knowing that he as a believer in Christ is so joined to Christ that he's already risen with him. He's already seated with him in heavenly places and having that affect his day-to-day life in the world. Right? To know the power of his resurrection. And, and he says there that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, if, if you're going to live that resurrected life that the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage, if you're going to live that sanctified life, if you're going to live your life without confidence in the flesh, there's going to be some suffering that comes along with it. Not just the suffering that everybody goes through in the world, not just that kind of suffering, but the suffering of persecution. Uh, there's suffering that comes with living the kind of life that Paul's describing here. In fact, the scripture says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, you know, the scripture says it's given to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his name's sake. What does it say about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings? It says being made conformable unto his death. See, those things, they, they work you to conform you, not like somebody's conformed to the world. There's a course of this world, right? And it tries to produce a certain product, just like a, an assembly line might take some plastic and mold it into a certain thing. There's an assembly line of this world that wants to produce a certain product, and it wants to conform you to that mold. And when, when you don't conform, when you're going to be conformed here to, the, to Christ's death, what that does is that, that 
you know, that world system tries to apply more pressure to get you to conform to the course of this world. See, tries to conform you to this world. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that transformation here he describes as being conformed unto Christ's death in Philippians 3. In verse 11 of Philippians 3 now, he says, verse 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's not saying that he's doing this in order to obtain the resurrection from the dead. Okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not saying that he's doing this, again, in order to some way earn resurrection. Paul knows, as he writes these words, that resurrection is his hope. It's something that's completely secure to him, not because of anything he does, but because of what Christ does. But when he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, he's not talking about obtaining the resurrection of the dead as if he's going to make it a, a possession. He already possesses that as his hope. What he's talking about is bringing his, again, his day-to-day life into conformity with that, that resurrection. See, resurrection, we, you know, physical resurrection is something yet future for us. But realize you've already been raised. You've been risen with Christ. You're already raised from the dead. And when he talks here about attaining under the resurrection of the dead, that word attain means to, to grasp a hold of. He's wanting to grasp a hold of that in his decisions, in his choices, in his actions, so that everything he does and thinks will reflect the resurrection of the dead. So he wants to attain to it. Now Paul's the first to admit here in verse 12, he says, not as though I had already attained. Here, here we have the Apostle Paul, and realize, don't, don't ever put any man on a pedestal. Whether it be these apostles, whether it be somebody you, know, somebody you know in your life, whatever, don't put them on a pedestal. Here Paul doesn't put himself on a pedestal. He says, I, have, I haven't attained that. Uh, don't, you know, don't, he's saying, don't, don't look at everything that he does as the standard. He says he hasn't attained to it. Don't, don't be trying to measure up to the standard of who Paul is. Measure up to the standard of who Christ is. Say, measure up to the standard of his resurrection. Uh, He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He he says, "I, I I haven't arrived yet. He says, I'm following after those things. I'm pursuing those things. I'm pursuing that attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He says, I'm, I'm pursuing it if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And again, that apprehend is to, to grab a hold of something. To, to appre- he says, I've been, Christ has, has got a hold of me. And he's saying, now, there's, some, there's a reason why he did that, right? There's a reason why Christ did that. And he says, I'm trying to apprehend. I'm trying to grab a hold of that thing for which Christ apprehended me. Uh, a lot of times when, when we use the word apprehend, um, sometimes you'll hear that word uh, talking about a police officer who makes, a, makes an arrest. They apprehended the suspect, right? They, they took him into custody. And you see here that, that Paul is not in any way basing his salvation on this apprehension. He's not on, on his apprehension or his attaining of the resurrection of the dead. He says Jesus Christ has apprehended him. Jesus Christ has, has taken him into custody, but he's saying he wants to apprehend. He wants to to get a hold of some things that are the very reason for which Christ apprehended him. 
And he says in verse 13, uh, I count not myself to have apprehended. Right? He, he says, I don't even count that of myself, but he says, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And the beginning of a, of a new year gives us the opportunity uh, to do what Paul describes here. It's really something we ought to be doing all the time. But you see, he says, all those things of the past. Do you have, do you have failures in the past year? Do you have successes in the past year that you know were just the, just the work of your flesh? Put those things behind and realize there's something out there in front of you. Paul calls it the mark. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he says that that, that is nothing less than perfection. That's what, he, that's what he describes it as. As you stand here today, uh, I hope you understand that in your position before God, the Bible describes you as being perfect, as being holy, as being completely righteous before him. That's your position before God. But in your walk, understand there's no one here this morning that is perfect in our walk in the sense that this passage is describing but in the coming year, make that the goal. Again, not as something you do in your flesh, but something you do by attaining to the resurrection of the dead as, as uh, um, pursuing that through faith in Christ. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.